All right, Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be talking today um, about some of the nuances of what it is to be free in Christ. And, and uh, so what we're going to do is work our way through a passage in Galatians chapter 5. And let me just kind of give you the, the thesis statement or outline it for you, the big idea. I think that among many other things, there are two primary enemies of the gospel, two primary enemies towards us being free in Christ. On one end of the spectrum, one great enemy of the gospel is legalism. And by that, you obviously know I'm not talking about you know, the Columbus Police Department or the Attorney General Office. I'm talking about legalism in a religious sense that we are made righteous or that we are made right with God by some by some act that we do some religious legalistic law abiding um, thing that we do that that is kind of under this general umbrella of legalism and and that is an enemy of the gospel. It's an enemy of grace. It's an enemy of the working of the power of God and his spirit in our life. It's an enemy of freedom in Christ. But on the other end of the spectrum, there is the enemy of license. And by that, I'm not talking about the DMV and your license to drive. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the license or the freedom that sometimes we take um, to our disadvantage to just kind of do whatever we want to do. So, so the, the middle here, and it's not really a middle ground, but between these two spectrums is that Christ has freed us from the requirements of the law, from the requirements of the, uh, uh, the consequences of, of, of death and sin. Of course, we still have to undergo those things, but he has freed us from, from damnation. He's freed us from judgment. He's freed us from, from law, from, from all of the Old Testament regulations that we'll talk briefly about today. He's freed us from that, but he's also freed us from ourselves and sometimes this other end of the spectrum where we we tend to swing towards well christ has freed me now i can kind of do whatever i want to do and so those are two enemies of the gospels and we're going to get into them in just a second but i want to kind of etch them in your spirit here for a second legalism and license okay well let's begin in galatians 5 verse 1 we're going to read through about verse 15 or so now, this is paul writing to a group of people called the galatians that uh, were a group of people that he on his first missionary journey, he founded this church, he planted this church, and then he moved on. That's what Paul was. He was a, he was a church planner. He was what we call an apostle. He didn't stay somewhere and pastor a group of people for a long period of time. He would establish a church, he would preach the gospel, set up the gospel there, and then he would move on and plant other churches and raise up a young leader to come and pastor that church. So he's done this in this region of Galatia, in this group of people called the Galatians. And so the reason that he's writing this letter to them is that they have received the true gospel from Paul, and they have begun this church, and now... Some other people have come along, whether within the church or other people, and they have said, okay, now you have received Christ, and you've avoided legalism, you've avoided legalism. these people are right on the path, but now they're saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus is the way, but, but they're probably ethnic Jews, and they're saying, but you know, you've got to add a little bit to this Christianity, you have to add circumcision to it, which they were probably obviously Jewish people that were living under this Old Testament law, and they were saying that you have to not only be a believer in Jesus as Messiah, but now you have to, and you have to still do this thing called circumcision. And, and I don't have to explain 
to any of you what that is, I hope, but you know what that is. And so it's, it's this Old Testament regulation that would denote or identify the people of God as God's people. And now these false teachers are coming in saying, you've got a, you've got a Jesus plus this one thing. And so Paul then is writing a letter back to them and he's saying, no, no, it's not it's not Jesus, faith in him, justification by faith alone, which Don McKelvey did such a beautiful job unpacking for us last week as he preached out of Luke. It's not, it, they're saying it's not just that, it's, it's justification by faith, but it's also plus this. Paul is saying, no, it's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And that's the whole point of his letter, basically, of Galatians. And now he's, he's arguing, he's persuading, he's pleading for them. Not to fall into this legalistic mistake of adding anything to the gospel. Okay, you got that? All right, so here we are in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, for, and this is an interesting sentence, and we're going to unpack this a little bit later. But just think of the, the uh, I mean, if this wasn't in the Bible, I think this would be grammatically incorrect. Um, this is a really interesting sentence. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Let me just kind of throw this out there. That means that uh, freedom is a noun and has set us free is a verb. So he has verbed us for a noun, but it's kind of the same word. He's, he's set us free for this place called freedom. That's, that's interesting. We'll get to that in a second. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So these Galatians are probably Gentiles. They're people that were not ethnically Jewish. And now they have received the true gospel by Paul. Now, very likely, a Jewish quasi-Christian has come in and taught them a false gospel saying, oh great, now you've received Christ, now, now, now you have to be circumcised. And they're considering, well, is this the true gospel or not? And so what Paul is saying is, no, no, you don't have to do that. Christ will be of no advantage to you. Verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So what he's saying here is it's a slippery slope. If you let one little thing in to be like on top of Christ, then, then, then does it stop at just this one little thing? Well, what about one other little thing? What about when the next visiting party of preachers comes in and they've got some other thing that you've got to do? So if you're, if you're adding anything to faith in Christ as the sole means by which you are justified, it's, it's a slippery slope. So he's saying, look, you're, you're going down a path here that is incredibly dangerous. Verse 4. It says, when this happens, you, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you who have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. In other words, our righteousness comes solely by Christ and Christ alone and not through our works. In verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven, verse 9, check this verse has so much application beyond just what Paul is talking about here. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, and you can be doing so good, but when you just kind of let one little thing in, 
it can just begin to spoil the whole lump of dough. There's this verse in Ecclesiastes, I think it says that a dead fly just totally messes up the perfumer's oil. I mean, just, you know, you can, I think this is, well, I'm taking this a little out of context of what Paul's talking about here, but, but, but uh, men, you can be doing, doing so well, but if you just kind of let one little thing in your life, it can, it can spoil your testimony. Verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So evidently there's some teacher who has come behind Paul who is contradicting Paul's doctrine of Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Faith in Christ alone, justification by faith. Whoever this cat is, he's, he's getting his day is what Paul is saying. Verse 11. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Paul was under great persecution from Jewish people of which he was one because now he is preaching this new way He's saying that this whole law that I lived under my whole life now has been fulfilled in Christ And now Christ has fulfilled these these laws for me. He has garnered. He has lived He has he has stored up righteousness. He has Perfectly obeyed the law and as in Romans says now he has satisfied the requirements of the law for us Now he dies on the cross for us and he he takes our sin He takes our failure of following God's way and he gets punished for it He takes our punishment and then all of the righteousness that he that he stored up in his life now becomes ours And so Paul is breaking down the paradigms of these Jewish people by preaching that it is Christ alone Not your Jewish heritage Not, not, not the fact that you obey the law Not the fact that you're better than this nasty, stinky Gentile He's saying what justifies you, Jew and Gentile, is faith in Christ alone And that is offensive And because of that he was being persecuted for it It's just like... I mean, you're saying, well, Brad, no, this is cool, but um, actually I've never really had a problem with anybody that was or wasn't circumcised. In fact, it's not really a question that comes up in most of our conversations. I, I get that the issue for us is not circumcision. But the issue, see what the context for us in our day is, is, is the little things that we hang on top of justification by faith. Church attendance, which church attendance? Whether you have some spiritual gift, uh, what type of worship your church does, what you wear, what, where you live, what, just all sorts of things that we hang on top of, faith in Christ alone, that brings Jew and Gentile alike together. And for us, that becomes the thing, like for these people, circumcision, that would cut them off from true freedom in Christ. Do you get that? Do you get that at all? Okay. So what he's saying here is that I'm being persecuted, and look, if this wasn't a big deal, I mean, nobody would care, but this is offensive. This is offensive to the Jew, and it is offensive to the religious person our day. Why is it offensive? Because at the heart of, at just the heart of the human soul in our sin is this sense of self-determination, this sense of that I am the captain of my own soul that i can rest on what i have done or not done as the reason for my rightness with god this was a problem for the jew in the old testament who falsely relied on his religious heritage for his right standing with god and i think 
maybe even more so, is a problem for the average, everyday American because we are rugged individualists, are we not? I mean, we are people who, who, because of our own intuition, because of our own capitalistic spirit, because of the fact that we are entrepreneurs and we can do it and we can either sink or swim on our own, we are geared instinctively with this false idea that it is up to us to make it. I mean, if you ask most Christians whether or not this, this statement is in the Bible, most of them in America would probably say this. God help. You can finish the sentence for me. God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. He, he, God helps those who can't help themselves. And that is offensive to the American soul because we think we're better. We think we're better than everybody else. And we think we're self-sufficient and able and so the cross, the work of Christ on the cross, shatters. It shatters human pride. It destroys it. And that is offensive to every heart. And mine also, to all of us, we have to overcome that hurdle of the gospel that says that you can do nothing to make yourself right with God, but only through faith in Christ and Christ alone. That's offensive. That's offensive. No, I don't care how many... How many churches you've been a part of, how many churches you've been, how many sermons you've preached, how many, how many good deeds you've done. That is not what justifies you. It is faith in Christ. That's offensive. And Paul was being persecuted for it. Let's keep going. Halfway through verse 11. In this case, the offense of the cross had been removed. And then he said, I don't know how to say this other than just to read it. I'm the earmuffs for the younger ones among us. He says in verse 12, and I love this because Paul's a little sarcastic. Sometimes he says some things that you know, maybe he shouldn't have said. And, but since it was divinely inspired, because it's in the Bible, we can, anyway, it's Holy Spirit. He should have said it. But he says in verse 12, <laughs> now I'm just going to lay it out there. Verse 12, I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. So what he's saying here, I mean, remember the context here is circumcision, which is a cutting away of just a little bit of the flesh. He's saying, well, if that's so profitable... Why don't you just cut it all off? Do you like, I mean, do you sense the, the fury and the, 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 the sarcasm and the anger in that? I mean, come on, if that is beneficial, then go all the way. Go all the way. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so the great enemy of the gospel on one side is legalism. I wrote some things down here, just some questions for ourselves. What does it look like for us? It's a performance-based orientation. It's a, well, I, you know, I, I'm, it's church attendance. It's spiritual gift. It's, it's, it's something that we add on top of the gospel. And listen, I'm not saying that coming to church and having spiritual gifts are bad things. I think they're wonderful. I think we should pursue all of those things. But when we when we let our heart get tilted to thinking that God is pleased with us because of those things, it becomes an enemy of the gospel rather than a response and freedom to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so what, is it, what does it look like for us? What, what right now, maybe just if we could unpack your suitcase, would you kind of be hanging your, your justification on before God? Is it anything other is it anything other? than Christ's work on the cross. For many American Christians, it is 
what they give because we're wealthy people generously and by wealthy i mean all of us by wealthy i mean that if you have a car a checking account and a refrigerator which is most of us in this room you're in the top six percent of wealth in the world and so we we feel good about ourselves when we give generously to something on an occasional basis because we think that somehow or another god is pleased with us and that's that's nothing more than a broken notion of spiritual karma I'm not saying that we shouldn't give, we shouldn't be generous, we shouldn't come to church, we shouldn't pursue spiritual gifts, we shouldn't do all these things. But I'm saying that when we let our heart be tilted and it becomes that we are satisfied with ourselves because we think God is more satisfied with us when we play that little game, then that becomes legalism. And here's the other thing about, I just was brainstorming yesterday. We tend to be legalistic about the things that we're good at, right? But we just tend to completely overlook the things that, I mean, if I'm good at like, you know, coming to church all the time or I'm, I'm, you know, I'm good at doing this or I'm good at, you know, my, my bent is, you know, one particular thing that other Christians don't do. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is the thing. Why don't they do that? But I've got some glaring, you know, blind spot or plank in my eye, you know, and I'm walking around and say, what's that little toothpick up in your eye? And I got this big two by four sticking out of my thing. I tend to focus my, my thing on my, my, my little, little bit of the pie that I do well and totally forget the other areas that I may be neglecting and focus my legalism or my false sense of justification on the thing that I do well. Um, And here's the other thing that I wrote down is that legalism inevitably leads to judgmentalism and hypocrisy. Doesn't it just always does. When, When we rest on anything other than just the humble realization that it is in Christ, in Christ alone, that we are justified and that we are no better. We are no better. I mean, no better. And this was a, a thing. I, I had to fight this because of my, my situation as a young child. I grew up literally, I was born in Los Angeles, but when I was a young child, my parents moved down right on the Mexican border. And for when I was four, five, six, seven, we, we lived in this um, home that literally you could see the fence to Mexico. It was my city and then Mexicali, which is the capital of Baja, California, a huge Mexican city. And in any type of border city like that, in, in along the Texas and California and the Arizona border, there's obviously a lot of poverty in Mexico that's pushed up against the border where people are trying to get in. And so I, as a young child, I could see across the fence, across the border of California to Mexico, I could see children my age selling newspapers or selling gum or jumping up on the hoods of cars and washing when just just trying to get by and i can remember just kind of this conflict in my soul dealing simultaneously with the sense of why why was i born just a mile north number one and two having to fight this sense of kind of superiority just because i was an american and and then you know all the little jokes that go along and just just things that you know just broken sin culture in 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 youth and just kind of making fun of people and and, and so so i but but the gospel see that was just my little ethnic racial situation as a kid growing up but the gospel breaks down this sense that we somehow deserve something that christ has done and it brings utter humility and it frees us from judgmentalism and hypocrisy because we realize that our boast is solely in christ alone but legalism inevitably leads to judgmentalism and hypocrisy. And, and ultimately we find that legalism is really no freedom at all because we're continually trying to measure up and meet the standard again and again and again. So that's legalism on one side. Okay, next few verses we'll talk about license. Verse 13. So Paul, you can see, he's, he's, he, you can almost see Paul 
preaching here, writing this letter, and he's breaking down. What he's doing is he's breaking down this one pendulum. Okay, the pendulum is swinging from true freedom in Christ, and he's seen it swing over to, to legalism, and he's seeing the, the Galatians being take, taken captive by this false freedom, that freedom that comes in Jesus plus something else, and he's breaking that down. But then he can kind of see the pendulum swinging back over to the other side, and he goes, whoa, 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 lest you overreact to legalism, let me also correct what I think probably may be your overreaction to legalism, which is license. And so he says in verse 13, I can almost picture him saying, but, but, but wait a minute, don't overreact. For you were called to freedom, brothers, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, okay, so we're saying, okay, so it's not to some little, you know, it's not about church attendance. It's not about this little thing. It's not about this little thing that I got to do. Well, cool. All right, whatever. All right, let's just chill out. Let's just party. Let's go. I'm going to just chill out and take a nap. He said, no, it's not just that, man. There's this way. Don't use your freedom to terminate on yourself so that it becomes all about you. And he continues and he says, but rather through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Think about this. The whole Old Testament law. I mean, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Exodus, the Mosaic law, the civil law, the sacrificial law. If you added up all the... The commandments, the laws in the Old Testament, there would be over 600 of them. And he says all of them kind of boil down into this one thing. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so Paul is saying, okay, I'm busting down this false gospel of legalism, but don't overreact now and, and use it as a license to do whatever you want. A couple of things that I wrote down, license to sin and just, be, just do whatever we want is an overreaction to legalism. It feels like you're free, but you're actually still captive. This time you're captive to your own self. And then finally, I wrote down that license, the problem with license and why it's so such an enemy of the gospel is it always terminates on itself, terminates on us. We, we become the Christ has died for us just so that we can be free. Just so that I can be free, so that I can enjoy, so that I cannot have to do these things, but Christ has died so that I can be free. And we've got to go back now, and I conclude with this, we go back to the first verse that we read, and it is that Christ has died for you, not just to make you free, but so that you could, we could be in a place called, called freedom. And then he expounds on that in the rest of that chapter where he says, through this love, let, let it be something where you, you then receive freedom in Christ. You receive forgiveness for sins. You receive freedom from from this religious game of piling up a pile of rocks of good merits. And it doesn't just free you up to just be free from that, but it frees you up for this purpose to be free in Christ so that you can live for others, live for God. And in that, and this is the, we could talk all day about this, in that is actually true joy because another enemy of the gospel is this wicked idea that truly living for Christ is somehow less joyful or something that you have to grit your teeth and bear because it kind of sucks all the life out of it. No, actually... 
living not in legalism and not in license, but through love serving one another frees you to not have your freedom terminate on yourself, but actually use, be used by God for the glory of his name. I, I end with this illustration. I've shared it many times before, but it's been a couple of years, and, um, and it fits very appropriately for this verse. I was a little kid in that hometown of El Central California where I grew up, and I was a paper boy. And uh, that's, that was my job in the Imperial Valley Press. I think I made about 25 bucks a month on that gig. And um, I lived on the corner of 5th and Winsley. And down the end of my block was 6th and Winsley. And on this corner house, there was this huge, and when I say huge, I mean like the size of Marmaduke. Uh, it, was a, it was like a mix. I think it was half German Shepherd half Great Dane, half Grizzly Bear, which a third Great Dane. So anyway, it was a, my math didn't add up there, but it was a big dog, and it had sharp teeth, and it was ferocious. And it was at this corner house, and they had this fence, a, 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 just a black gate iron rod fence. <laughs> I was kind of a punk kid. I know you find that surprising, but I was a little antagonistic, and I, I would... I would fold my papers every afternoon. It was an afternoon delivery. And so we'd, I'd come home from school. They'd have all the, 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 the printer would put all the papers on our front porch. We'd fold them up. And uh, then I'd put them on these sacks that drooped around my, my um, Schwinn with a banana seat. You know what I'm talking about. Bike. It was cool. It was black. And the, the, the seat was, it had, it had like a nice little silver color. It was really cool. I had these really cool grips and these wide handlebars. And we'd, I'd hang, I don't know, I keep saying we, I was the only one, but anyway, I would hang the bags over, and so you had half the papers on this side, half the papers on this side, and you'd go, uh, and you'd throw the papers, and my route was uh, uh, about a half a mile away, but I had, to, I had to ride by this house every afternoon, Monday through Friday, delivering this paper. And this, this German shepherd slash Great Dane slash grizzly bear was sitting on the front porch of the neighbor's house, and it would come, and I, it would come off of that porch. It would hear me, and its ears, you know how the German shepherds, kind of their ears peek up and just intimidating looking, and that thing would come off the porch just coming after me. And of course, I would, I would incentivize the animal just a little bit. I'd, I'd you know, with my paper across the, you know, every now and they'd always give you a couple of extra papers just in case you, you know, lost one of Sometimes I, that, wasn't, that house wasn't on my route, but I'd throw in just to pop the... Anyway, the, the, the dog would come running, just hoo, 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 just coming. And the fence was there, thank God. And he, of course, would come right up to the fence. He'd stick his snout through the fence, and he would just... And when he'd stick his nose, I'd pop him with a paper. It was just wonderful. <laughs> this went on for months, months. And one day... It was a hot summer day in, in a dusty little Southern California town. And I'm driving, I'm riding my, my Schwinn banana seat bike with the papers underneath it. And I'm coming up and I'm just thinking everything's going to be cool today. And I look up and I'm about as far as, as we are from the end of the, the wall there at the end of the sanctuary. And come to find out the family was replacing their fence. And the fence was down. It was gone. And there was just a... A, a, a trench that they're digging and they were eventually going to put up a new fence but it was down the only problem was <laughs> that they, the dog was still there on the porch 
And we're just sitting there. And so I'm right, and I'm like, oh, snap. <laughs> this is over. I'm going to get eaten by a dog 500 feet from my house. And the dog sees me, and he starts coming off the porch. I mean, oh, oh. And I... <laughs> And this is why the banana seat was important, because I got up, I got up off the pedals, and I'm standing on the banana seat <laughs> driving with my, my bike, and the dog is just coming after me. And I mean, this is it. I'm thinking, um, this is, I, I mean, this, the stuff that flashes through your mind as a 12-year-old kid. And I'm thinking, you know, I was still at that time thinking I was going to be the quarterback for the San Diego Chargers. Um, but I'm still thinking maybe I could get some prosthetic foot or something like that. I'll be the first NFL quarterback with a fake foot. Anyway, so the dog is coming after me. And right as that dog got to where the fence used to be, that dumb dog stopped. There was no glory. <laughs> yeah, glory. That dumb dog stopped and there was no fence. And you know how sometimes when you make a strange noise, you know, and little puppies will kind of give you that confused puppy look like, ooh. I mean, this time the tables were reversed. I mean, I'm up on the banana seat walking by and the dog stops. I'm just bracing to get hit by these teeth. And this time I gave the dog the look like, seriously, you just stopped. The dog was so used to the fence being there that it just it couldn't it couldn't do life without a fence. The dog was free, but the dog was not free. Thanks be to God. And years after that happened, one day I was reading Galatians five. And that verse Hit me. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It is possible to be set free from by Christ. It is possible to be a Christian. It is possible to believe in Jesus. It is possible to have your names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It is possible to receive the forgiveness of sins. It is possible to do all these things, but to, to still be bound by either legalism license and to be kept on a porch bound by an invisible fence of religion that brings death or selfishness that brings death rather than running free because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Where do you fall? <laughs> Maybe you're like me and you fluctuate between both. <laughs> I can see so much legalism in my heart, and I can see so much license in my heart. I can see so much religion in me, and I can see so much selfishness in me. And the Holy Spirit, I think, wants to say to me and to you, we're free. We're free because of this sacrifice, this meal, this communion that we are going to receive today. We're free. We're free. So if you're a Christian, as we take communion, one of the things that Paul tells us to do in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, examine yourselves. Examine your life. Do you, do you tend towards legalism? 
Do you tend towards religion? Of course, if we ask, you say, oh, of course, I believe Jesus alone saved me. But, but really, is there's this sense in you that when you look across the fence and you see the less fortunate, that it's like, oh, I'm glad I'm not like them. Don preached about the righteous Pharisee. God, thank you for not making me like those sloppy Gentiles. Do you, do you tend towards that? What's that look like in your life? Or do you tend towards just has Christ saved you, but it's just kind of terminated on you? And life is really all about just kind of you. And maybe you're like me and you've got both of those things in you. Or maybe you're not a Christian. And you're realizing, you know what, I, I'm not free. I'm not free at all. And here's the good news of today is that Christ comes and he does this for us on the cross. What he does is he takes the penalty that should have been ours because of our sin. He takes the the weight and the punishment and the wrath of God and he absorbs it on the cross. We're going we're gonna to just a moment take little pieces of bread in our mouth and they commemorate the broken body of Jesus that was crushed, that was crushed by God for us. And so he had to be punished for us. And, and so what Jesus does is he does that. And then he rose again from the grave. Of course, if you've lived in America or been around in the South, you know this story. But how this applies to you is that Jesus defeated that, that death and the sin and the consequences of it. And he defeated legalism. He defeated selfishness. And he now offers free life to all who would believe. So that justification that solely comes in Jesus that we've talked about in just really all morning is yours not because you're good not because you're white not because you're black not because you're jew not because you're gentile not because you're american not because you're mexican not because you're a church attender not because you're baptist or methodist because you've been baptized or because you have a spiritual gift or because any of these things it's solely by faith that he even gives you that to exercise but you must you must respond you're your only thing in this is to turn and repent and trust and to give your life and say, Christ, you have made yourself so beautiful to me. You have made your way so evident. You have shown me such grace. How can I, how can I not believe in you? Believe. I believe. I believe in you. If you're not a Christian, that's, that's what you do today. You believe. And belief is not just cognitively agreeing with it. It is then saying, God, I, I trust you. I, I, I choose through my own will. I choose. I, I make this conscious response of faith that you are enabling me to do right now. I choose to, to believe and trust you and to give my life to you. And then with that comes a whole life of response, not just a one-time decision, but a whole life of response. And you join a family of people who are doing that together. You can do that today. By simply believing, trusting, turning towards Christ, and receiving Him as Lord. Well, let's pray. Lord, I know I'm speaking to two types of people in here. Those that have already received You and those that have not. For those that have, we, we battle with the two enemies of the Gospel. Legalisms, self-righteousness, religion, performance-based works orientation. God, we battle with that. And we also battle with a misuse of our freedom and license and selfishness and 
having all of our arrows terminate on us. Lord, would you speak to us by your Holy Spirit right now, and would you, would you show us the ways that we tend and the errors that we make and the planks in our eyes and the blind spots in our heart? And would you then, as we receive this communion meal together, God, would we examine our lives and would we lay those things down and be renewed and would we repent and would we be refreshed and would you set us back on course to true freedom in Christ because you've got a place for us to run. You've got a pasture for us to to dance in. You've got a work for us to do. You've got a gospel for us to preach. You've got a, a marriage for us to participate in that becomes an example to many other people you've got children for us to raise in this that then would become examples you've got you you've got our freedom that you want to leverage for your namesake in this world and so god would you give us that beautiful picture of what it looks like to avoid these two extremes of legalism and license and would you set us in that way by your spirit and would we walk in it and would we be refreshed today as we consider how we might pursue that in our lives. And God, for those, the second group of people who um, have not yet truly received you and become Christians, Lord, they may be very aware of that or they may not be. They may think they have but haven't. So God, would you do what only you can do by your Holy Spirit when you come and would you, would you break down callous spiritual cynicism and would you bring the dead heart back to life only you can do that you didn't die on the cross so that we could save ourselves you died on the cross and saved us so God would you would you save right now would you cause a dead heart to just come alive and believe and breathe faith and repentance and trust God would you move Would you move on doubting, cynical, wounded, dead hearts? Would you bring them alive? Would you bring them alive? And then as the first first breath out of that birth canal, would that that person just respond and trust and faith and repentance? And God, would you go beyond my weak ability to explain it and would you make it alive make the dead spirit alive maybe for you right now that's happening right now it's just like what why am i even thinking about these things what what, jesus is becoming more real to me right now what i'm maybe i haven't been a christian those those thoughts are running through your mind right now that is very likely evidence that that jesus is as the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, causing you to be born again. That's the Holy Spirit hitting your heart. Now what you do is you respond. You believe. You don't do something. You, you simply believe. You do that right now. You say, Jesus, I trust you. I need you. You alone. You alone are my Savior. In you alone do I trust. You say that right now. You believe. You believe. And the Bible says that you become a new creation. And you can receive this meal and realize that Christ died for you.
and gives you freedom. Freedom for his glory. That's you. Do that. Do that right now. Lord, would you would you speak to both groups? I pray in Jesus' name.